Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Taylor Goblitz, and welcome back to Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection of Our Lord, Easter Sunday, for the week of April 4th, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and he has risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah. It's such a rewarding thing to get to Easter Sunday, isn't it? All of us are excited, people typically wearing their best clothes. And I know this year is still, again, kind of complicated because last year, like this year, we're still kind of in the middle of this whatever we are with the pandemic. But it's also this recognition of the celebration that maybe as we eventually get through whatever the pandemic ends, we will feel. And it's this point of the story not ending the way that we expect, the change in the ending that gives us new life, that gives us a different perspective on God. It changes our opinion about everything. That's what this day is all about, how death didn't kill God. It changed everything. And it leads really well into the Twitter question we had for last week. The Twitter question for last week was, have you stopped and honestly contemplated the impact of Jesus' death on your life? Have you stopped and contemplated the impact of your life on others? It's something that it's very easy to overlook. It's very easy for us to overlook how much we are dependent upon other people. It's very easy for us to overlook, especially as Okay, you had Palm Passion Sunday last week, and we rushed to Easter and overlook Holy Week, which I know I don't do podcasts about, but I hope last week we kind of covered some of that last week. But it's the point of we have to be able to stay in the moment and recognizing where we're at, recognizing the power of what God is doing within us, recognizing the power of what God did for us just in general, recognizing the power that each of us has on each other, both in positive ways and negative ways. It's amazing the words and what certain things can be said that changes people's lives in big ways. And I think it's the recognition of words are powerful, whether we want to recognize that or not. And I think this is where when Jesus, again, with hindsight being twenty twenty, the different things that we get from Jesus, where I would argue it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit within Jesus directing his words, and we see the humanity in Jesus over the last week, but also the point of the words that were spoken were fulfilled, the fulfillment of what has been done. And that's the beautiful thing with this Sunday and with everything that we've been building up to. So let's just jump right into it. Now, this is an interesting thing, and I don't know if I've ever seen this before. So there's an alternative reading that is both used as an alternative for the first reading and second reading. So we're going to leave that toward the end and we'll kind of talk about it then. So The first reading is Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. This reading helps us remember how even in hard times, God still does provide and God's word and what God has stated will happen. We rejoice in the salvation of what God is doing and continues to provide for 
his people. God provides for the people of God, and that's then what moves us forward into the next part. It gives us strength in what we're going through. The psalm this week is Psalm 118, verses 1 to 2 and 14 to 24. And this kind of continues that message that we picked up out of the first reading. So the first two lines are very, very familiar. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. And that as God has been there, God continues to be this provider who brings us through these different things so that we can have a victory song with the Lord that the stone that the builders rejected have become the chief cornerstone coming out of verse 22, that this is recognizing the power of what God is doing, that I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord coming from verse 17, a praise psalm recognizing the power of who God is and the power of what God brings to the table. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. This is really an interesting text because it's Paul recalling and talking about what the resurrection was like in his case and how he is called to proclaim this because he went through this, that death did not destroy Jesus and that then Jesus appeared to all these His original disciples appeared to another 500 plus people and eventually got to him and him kind of downplaying it where I am not this great apostle. I'm unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church coming from verse 9. So this idea of, again, trying to solidify what we'll hear here in a few moments that this did happen. There are multiple witnesses of this and that we are all seeing this. This is not some inside job. This is something that many people have witnessed. The alternative reading that I was referencing at the beginning is from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. And again, this then is Peter and remembering that Acts is kind of telling the story of the early church and what is going on. But Peter trying to help people early on in the church. Remember, it's through all this, what I was able to witness with being able to go and following Jesus's footsteps and through the death and then the resurrection, that it's the Holy Spirit then stirring within me because of this, that I preach what I do. And coming from verse 42 and 43, I think it's just really powerful for us to be able to recognize and think about. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. Let everyone who believes in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. So this idea of what Peter witnessed, what was all done, was then to Again, solidify what has been stated throughout the scriptures, which again, why we have both Old and New Testament here this week, along with that in that it's helping us recognize what our calling is now, is to continue to bear fruit and continue to share that message with others. 
So there are two potential gospel readings this week, especially because we're in the year of Mark, that we have also John's interpretation. So I'll try summarizing both of these here. John's gospel is John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. So we here have Mary Magdalene has already been to the tomb, seen that the stone in front of the tomb has been removed. She then goes to tells Simon Peter and another disciple. They go running to try to see this. When they're there, they realize that Jesus is gone and understanding that kind of overwhelmed by all this. And so they run and go hide because Jesus isn't there. The linens are just kind of rolled up. They're just sitting there trying to absorb the whole situation. Mary must have followed again and she's outside the tomb and weeping. And Jesus and two angels appear Jesus then asks Mary, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And she assumes it's the gardener and says, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus calls out to Mary by name. She responds by teacher. Jesus then gives us this really cool tidbit here coming from verse 17. Do not to touch him because he hasn't fully ascended to the father yet but to continue to share this with the other disciples. And so then Mary Magdalene goes to tell the other disciples about what she has seen. The alternative gospel is from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. This is the short version. If you look at Mark's gospel, there's some additional verses after this, but we'll keep it with the short version this week. Again, it's Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, to come to again to anoint the dead body. When they arrive, to, they find that the stone has already been rolled away and they look and there is a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the side and they're alarmed. And it's an angel, as what we can understand, that says in verse 6, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was raised. He is not here. Look, There is the place they laid him and then gets instructions to go and tell the other disciples. And they fled out of the tomb in terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So this idea of again where we have either they're afraid and they don't tell anybody or maybe they tell Peter and then Peter kind of goes through his whole thing. The range of emotion within this story is amazing because of the multiple gospels. It just adds to it. And the reason being is that, again, the humanity is in this story. We can understand being overwhelmed and not knowing what to do. And again, I think it's so amazing that here we are. It's the women who are discovering that Jesus is no longer there. Again, another moment where we're seeing the significance of women in Scripture, showing that this is an important moment in Scripture, and also showing that, yet again, he came for all, not just male or female, but for all. And so this idea of, again, the ones who don't get talked about a lot get this recognition of the moment of recognizing that Jesus has been raised. So, I went a little longer this week, but before we jump into how faith and science come together, we have to do our shameless plug. Four, 
Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to help bring you this podcast week after week. And I would also want to do, again, another shout out to Vanderbilt's lectionary. Again, this is a really good resource if you're just wanting to be able to see all the different lectionaries together. So you either have workingpreacher.org or lectionary.library.vanderbilt.edu. Both of these are great texts, both of them great resources, and so if you haven't checked out either of these, I'd highly recommend it. A lot to go through, a lot that gets said, and a lot we've heard before. It's easy now, because we've gotten to Easter, to be able to recognize, yep, this has happened. And again, it's the hindsight bias. We know it's going to happen. We know the end of the story before we even start. And that's what makes it hard, right? It's hard to be able to fully get into this. Like we talk about, we can understand the human emotions that the women are going through and even the disciples are going through. But yet, in all of that, It's easy for us to say, yeah, would I really act that way? We've been here. We've gone through this before. It's the unexpected comeback. But it's hard to be an unexpected comeback when we know it's coming. And I think that's a great way of thinking about it in certain regards. Because there are things that we can think about that we don't necessarily know all the time. You see, that's one of the things that sets apart master gardeners in a lot of ways is understanding and recognizing how far back can they cut the plant that the plant is still going to recover and survive. It's one of the things that is able to separate the goods from the greats, the ones who really know and understand their plants that they are tending to. And I think no better way is this demonstrated than in fruit. Especially, I just find it kind of interesting as I was kind of thinking about this and brainstorming this is we are told to have the fruits of the spirit, to give forth fruit, right? Then let's look at fruit. Because one of the things that's really interesting is when you have a young fruit tree and you plant it in the ground, when it's transplanted to a new growing space, how long should you expect it to take before it bears fruit. For me, being in the upper Midwest, apples are kind of our thing. And I remember distinctly my parents putting in apple trees and how long we had to wait. Because an apple tree can take two to five years and upwards to eight years for it to bear fruit. And I'll attach some links down below. But multiple different types of fruit trees taking years for them to grow and to be able to produce fruit. In a lot of ways, it seems like the exception is like citrus trees are one to two, fig trees being one to two, but most two to four, four to six, three to four, four to seven here from sweet cherries. That's a long time. That's a long time for the tree to be producing and growing and Okay, is it going to produce fruit? Is it okay? But this, is, to me, is only part of the story. Because having grown up and experienced what apple trees do, they're dependent on their blossoms. Because if you look at the bottom of an apple, you'll see some of the old petals there. 
it's part of the flower is what we're actually eating. It's the fruit around the seeds to be able to provide nutrients when it falls to be able to grow. But it's part of the flower. If there's no flower, there is no fruit. You see, that fruit, in order for it to grow, at flower has to be pollinated for it to be able to produce fruit. So, with where I have grown up, there has been years where we have a lot of wind when the flowers are in bloom. What does that mean? Reduce crop. We've had late frosts as they're blooming. What does that mean? Reduce flowers, reduce crop. And even just the natural cycle of the tree, there are big years and there are small years with the amount of fruit that that tree is going to provide. Why do I bring this up with the resurrection? You see, that is the resurrection. To me, it's thinking about it as if the gardener plants the tree and doesn't understand that it's going to take years for that tree to be comfortable, to be able to produce fruit and cuts down the tree, the story of that tree ends. There is nothing more to tell and it never produced the fruit. If a gardener has a little bit more patience, but then has a year after having maybe some fruit and all right, this is great. And every year it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly a windstorm comes through or a frost comes through and it has a down year. Does the gardener then realize, oh, maybe the tree is done. It's over and chops it down and misses the fruit, misses the potential fruit that can come. You see, when we're taking last week's text and getting it to this week's text, we have to bring them together. We have to understand that Jesus, even as his human side, did not want to go through the struggle of what we went through last week. And is asking God, do I really have to? Is there any other way? It's in that struggle that we actually get the fruit. The fruit of new life for us. If Jesus doesn't go through that struggle, we don't have the fruit of new life. If a tree goes through a down year, it's usually going to have a bumper crop the next year because the tree understands that. The tree senses that and, okay, I can't, we don't have as much fruit, but we're going to save some reserves so that next year we're going all in. We're going all in. How often it is for us that we are too quick to give up. And it's amazing in this with Easter, we're just too quick to fast forward to the resurrection. We don't want to talk about the struggle of what we went through last week to get to this week. We don't want to spend the time looking at and feeling the grit, the the angst of last week to get to this week. But you see, we have to go through that to get the fruit. The tree has to go through this process of reestablishing its root system, getting adjusted to where it's at, being able to build up the tree to bear fruit after being transplanted. The disciples, when Jesus hung on the tree, assumed that was the end. Because for them and in their lifetime, the only person that didn't go through that was Ezekiel. 
and gets brought up in a chariot of fire. We have one recollection of that up to this point that's solid, that the the people are going to know. Very few. When you die, you die. And the significance of this also is that in this, it's on the third day. Traditional Jewish burial services were three days long. And that's why if you want to look at the Lazarus, how Jesus comes on the fourth day and raises him up, it's this is the day when the spirit within them is ascending to God. And again, this is when Jesus then, as we hear in the John text, don't touch me, Mary, because I haven't fully ascended yet. How quick, how easy it is for us to give up, to fast forward, to get to the easy Especially in the society we're in, we like things easy, convenient. But it's also realizing some of the best things in life take time. Understanding that the struggle is part of life. Understanding the struggle helps build the character of that. Us understanding that the transplant of a plant to be able to grow an eventual fruit is a stressful, hard situation. There is struggle there. It has to establish root systems. It has to adjust to where it is, the amount of light that it's getting, and there's really nothing it can do outside of just it needs to grow. It needs to grow. It needs to establish. It's going to take some time. And then when it does, the fruit that it bears is something that's desired. The struggle of what Jesus did for us took time, and it was worth it in the end. We have to understand that the struggle in life is sometimes essential for us to be able to bear the fruit of what God is wanting us to bear, to feel and see and be able to be the vessel that God is wanting us to be. We have to be willing and able to go through the struggle. We see it in fruit trees. We see it in plants. Why can't we understand that with ourselves? There's going to be times and places where we have to struggle through. And that includes our faith. And how often we will be like the disciples, figuring that this is the end, and then overwhelmed with emotion when it isn't. Overwhelmed to the point where we don't understand, how do I deal with this now? Do I go and tell other disciples, what did I just see? Did I see a ghost? Am I hallucinating? I'm scared. I'm confused. I'm overwhelmed. I'm excited at the potential of what I saw. It's like that first time that the gardener goes out and realizes that the tree is showing signs of having fruit and realizing that probably the first year is not going to be the best fruit that it's going to get, but it's a start of something new, something that's going to change the tree's history, the tree's life, the gardener's life. That now there's something else there. There's more potential there. It's what God does for us, giving us new life, new potential. How often we are quick to try to overlook the struggle, how quick we're trying to move beyond the struggle. How often, even in our movies, right? We hear, you know, it's establishing what's going on, and then it's, oh, the struggle, the quick development of something, this montage of the workout program or whatever. We don't like dealing with the struggle, but yet the struggle produces the fruit and we can't rush the struggle. Even Jesus couldn't rush the struggle, the mocking and how much if he's the son of man, let him just save himself. 
how much that would have just been hard for Jesus to not just sit there and say, okay, bang, I've done it. Now what? Instead, sits there and deals with the struggle. It's amazing when you really think about it. We see this in life around us, and I think it's the realization, especially this Easter, as we are struggling with over a year-long global pandemic, that growth comes after the struggle, and you can't rush the struggle. The struggle produces the fruit later on. If you rush the struggle, there is no fruit to bear. So my Twitter question for you this week is how are you not going to rush the struggle? How are you not going to rush the struggle? How are you going to live in the struggle? Because that's something I know within our own lives and probably our work, in our marriage, in just day-to-day life, we don't like the struggle. We just want to get to the end. And sometimes we have to realize that the struggle is part of the journey as part of the amazing story. If Jesus had just hopped down off the cross immediately, is this story as amazing? Is this as much of a comeback that we all are wanting and desiring? Is this the story that we're really looking for? The story, to some extent, is built in the struggle. The fruit of what Christ did for us came out of the struggle. And that's why we have Paul witnessing to it. That's why we have Peter witnessing to it. That's why we have the psalmist reminding us that God's steadfast love endures forever and that we give praise to when we have gotten through the struggle. Reminding us that even in the Old Testament reading this week, out of Isaiah that as we get through the struggle, that's when we realize the feast of what God has provided for us. The struggle produces the fruit. And so sometimes as we are in struggles within our lives, realizing that we have to wrestle with the struggle because fruit comes after. And I don't want to pick that fruit prematurely or give up and not get fruit at all. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.